but uh, I tell you, he was a blessing at camp. Uh, just a phenomenal young man. And, uh, you know, there are kids like that that uh, have, the, uh, have the Moses complex. Uh, from a very young age, you just know that God has got their hand upon them. But if you didn't have the Moses complex like me, right, uh, that's all right. God can still do great things with you. But there are kids that seem like they do no wrong seem like that they uh, never get in trouble. And if you have one of those, you're truly blessed, right? Amen. But uh, it, uh, it doesn't mean that God can't do great things because when you look in the Word of God, there's a whole lot of people in there that God did great things. All you got to do is go to the New Testament and you look at, uh, you look at Peter right and all the challenges that he had to overcome and and you look at Paul and uh, him persecuting the church of God right amen so we are delighted and uh, don't you love having Colton here he's wonderful he's a real blessing to the kingdom of God we appreciate him dear thank you thank you I have a lot of stuff here, so I'm going to try to spread it out. I don't know what to say once you lost the Oscar. That's, that's crazy. No one else gets a speech once they lose the prize, so this is weird. He's funnier than his dad. I'll take it, yeah. Don't tell him that. He thinks he's the funny one. Um, yeah, well, thank you for all the words, including the ones about Lulu. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very appreciative of this wonderful church that I've found myself in. I was just talking to Brother Sergeant before, uh, before this, this, the service. Yeah, I know words too. Whew. I'm a, I'm a catch. I promise. Uh, for the next time, I'm a great second place if you need to too. But I was talking to Brother Sergeant about God moving things into positions and moving me around. I was supposed to go to Pullman. I had the plan to go to Pullman, but there's no church in Pullman, so that's kind of a big problem. And um, there's a church here, and there's a school campus here that has the same exact program. So I'm just incredibly blessed to be here. And I'm incredibly honored to to teach, especially when pastor's gone, because usually, you know, he would entrust to someone who has more experience. But he's like, ah, (laughs) he can do it. So I appreciate that. I I don't take this lightly. I really don't. And uh, I'm going to talk from, I'm going to start in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Let's see, I put a bunch of sticky notes in my Bible so I can find where stuff is. Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'm really not going far from what was taught last Wednesday by Pastor. I thought it was just really an incredible lesson. I really need to hear it. And would you know, we have a way to hear it again. Sister Alicia has been putting together some podcasts, some some putting them on a a place like Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you can re-listen. So give that uh, last week's a re-listen if you don't like what you heard today. You know, just give it a listen anyways, because it's good. It's good. All right, so Ezekiel chapter 36, we're going to start in verse 23. Yeah, I have it up there. I came prepared today. 23. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified 
in you before their eyes. Uh, right now, God is talking to Ezekiel to prophesy to the mountains of Israel. I thought that was interesting. Ezekiel's one of those books I don't quite know how to wrap my head around sometimes. I don't really know what's going on in a lot of it, so I just have to reread it a lot and a lot and a lot. And, you know, still try to find something. Because there's a lot here that I just I don't fully comprehend, but I'm working at it. I'm working at it. And something that stuck out to me in the previous verse is that, um, that God is not, he's not, you know, cleansing his people for their sakes. He's doing it for his name's sake because they profane the name. And that's interesting. That's, I'm not really talking about today, but I just, that stuck out to me. That stuck out to me. Verse 24 says, For I will take you from among the heathens and gather you out of all countries, every nation. That's, you know. That, that's, that these similarities are building up in my mind as I'm reading this. And I will bring you into your own land. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. We're going to focus on 26 and 27. New heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. That spirit is the same word uh, used in Joel chapter 2, which is the same passage that Peter uses when he talks about the pouring out of spirit. It's going to give you a new spirit. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You shall keep my, ju- uh, keep my judgments and do them. Praise God. Praise God. That's all I got from Ezekiel today. Next time I might have more stuff from Ezekiel. But I really want to focus on 26. A new heart also will I give you. A new heart will I give you. I had to do a lot of research about cardiology for this message. Cardiology is the the heart stuff. I don't really know the technical term. I'm trying to be an engineer, not a doctor. So this was weird. I'd go outside my comfort zone. And... I did some research. What does it mean to get a new heart? What is, what's the process? And there's something called open heart surgery. I don't know if you know about that, but I've heard it a lot. People have open heart surgery, and what happens is they cut open your chest, and they rip, like, just to take it apart, and they break ribs sometimes because they, they want to get to the heart. They want to get to the lungs too, but, like, heart is specific. And so today I'm going to, if I had a title, which I wrote a title down, so I do kind of. It's uh, open heart surgery. And I want to tell you, I want to spoil it. God is the kind of God who does open heart surgery. Goes right inside. So I wanted to do some research on open heart surgery. And I found that the first successful open heart surgery took place on Chicago's south side on July 9th, 1893. You didn't know a big anniversary passed by of the first successful open heart. 127 years ago, uh, the patient was James Cornish, a young man with a knife wound to the chest from a barroom brawl. Those, you know, they just, that's, a, that's what you get for going to the bar room, in my opinion, but the surgeon didn't think so. Uh, the surgeon had gone into medicine because he disliked his earlier work as a shoemaker's apprentice. I wouldn't like that either. And his name was Dr. Daniel Hale Williams. The surgery took place in Providence Hospital, the city's first interracial hospital, which Williams helped to found. Both the patient and surgeon were African-American Medical textbooks of the time said that operating on the human heart was too dangerous, and there was no precedent for opening the chest. Medical reporter, oh, excuse me, medical reporter Ronald Kotulik, that's not how you say it, I bet, wrote more than a century later, despite lacking x-rays, antibiotics, adequate anesthesia, ooh, 
Imagine someone open up your chest without anesthesia. Oh my goodness. Or other tools of modern surgery. William stepped in with a scalpel. He cut a small hole in Cornish's chest. I'm trying to make this like not gory. I apologize. If you guys, I don't really like blood. And this is like, whew, I might faint. Just reading it. William stepped in. He had a scalpel. He cut a small hole in Cornish's chest. And he carefully picked his ways past nerves, muscles, blood vessels, and ribs until he reached this rapidly beating heart. He explored the wound, and he found a severed artery. This thing that helps bloods go around your body. He closed it with sutures, which is like sewing it up. That's nuts, sewing up a person. I can't sew on a button. This guy does that. The heart itself had only been nicked and did not need to be sutured, but the, the the damaged sac which surrounds your heart, I didn't know that. There's something that surrounds your heart. Had to be closed. And with Cornish's heart beating 130 times a minute beneath his nimble, nimble fingers, Williams closed the wound. Cornish lived on, probably to go to more barroom fights. And Williams went on to acclaim in 1994. He was appointed chief surgeon at Freedman's Hospital in Washington, in Washington D.C. I learned a lot from like two Wikipedia pages. That's where we can find most of our information. Hey, Google, you just, it's out there. We can do it. I don't know why I'm paying for school. I could just Google what I want. The number one cause of death in the world today, does anyone know what it is? It's heart disease. It's heart disease. It's specifically non-communicable heart diseases, so not anything that you would get for someone. You can't catch a heart attack from someone else. I don't want to go over to his house because he just had three, and I just can't do that right now. Heart attacks, heart murmurs, broken heart strings combined cause more deaths than many cancers, road accidents, and even COVID-19. Don't let the media know about that one. One of the main tools to fight these heart problems is what is called open heart surgery. And it's done to perform a CABG or a coronary artery bypass graft. A lot of big words today. I'm so sorry. Which may be necessary for people with coronary heart disease. And that occurs when the blood vessels that provide oxygen and blood to the heart muscle become narrow and hard. This is often called the, harder, the hardening of the arteries. Stone is pretty hard, too. I don't know if you know that. Hardening occurs when fatty material forms a plaque on the walls of the coronary artery. The plaque narrows it, making it difficult for blood to get through. And when blood can't flow properly to a heart, a heart attack may occur. This is a science that uh, Moses actually knew far before any scientist opened up a heart. Because God told him, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood is very important, if you don't know. It kind of provides a good service to our body. It keeps things going. Open heart surgery is also done to repair or replace heart valves, repair damage or abnormal areas of the heart, implant medical devices like a pacemaker, or replace a damaged heart with a donated heart. I said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Our God is in the heart transplanting business. The great physician is indeed a great cardiologist. And last week, Pastor taught a great lesson about repentance. And I'm not going far from what uh, was talked about. In fact, I'm going to use the same, uh, the same, almost the same definition of what he uh, said for sin. I narrowed it down because if I talk too many words, they get jumbled and I can't understand it. So I, I narrowed it down to fixation in self-erected blocks. 
that separate us from God and from our spiritual potential. He said something that, uh, that stuck with me, like plaque stuck in an artery wall. That the analogy of sin being our clogging agent in our spiritual arteries. And with the basic research I've done, that is the main cause of heart-related problems. This blockage that builds up and builds up because people can't eat right, like myself. I'm trying to. But if there's too much buildup, you get a heart attack. And it, it could be deadly. And you have to get open-heart surgery. And you have to go on an ambulance. And those are expensive. And it just messes up with things. And just as that, that plaque builds up in our hearts, sin does that with our spiritual hearts. That, that word heart that's used in the Bible, it's, I believe it's lab. I don't know Hebrew or Aramaic very well. So I'm going to call it lab. And it, it means heart or it can mean where your soul is. And I'm sure we all know that. Or most of us, maybe. I, I didn't know it was called lab. But now I do. But when sin is built up and left unchecked and unchanged, it is detrimental to our future. So let's talk a little bit about sin. And I'm going to go to the first sin, which is a little, little Bible trivia question. Where's the first sin found out? Y'all can talk. It's, uh, it's like Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, the first Yes, yeah. That's right. I think they worked as a tandem, a team together to sin. And um, they were very good at it. A tag team. Eve started it and Adam finished the race. He got that baton. He's like, all right, let's do this. It's not what I'm talking from my from my translation. Tag team. I'm talking about the first, like, in, don't mess up my stuff here. I, got, I was in a flow. I was in a rhythm. <laughs> All right, so we're going to say, for argument's sake, the first sin was in Genesis 3 by man and woman tag team Brother Kelly. It wasn't just her. And it comes really shortly after. It comes shortly after God made literally everything, and he gave Adam one rule. There's only just one rule. I can follow one rule. Maybe. I don't know. I, I never had to try it. And uh, he said, Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden. This is in two, not in three. But I'm just giving preface. Uh, commanded uh, that you can eat every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest, eatest thereof. I need a better translation. Thou shalt. If you'd eat the tree or the fruit of the tree, you're going to die. Simple. Boom. One rule. Follow the rule. But then in uh, verse 1, Now the, simp- the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall eat not of every tree of the garden. Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but, through, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst, in the middle of the garden, Goth, has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall, you're not going to die, silly. For God knows that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall 
be as gods knowing good and evil. And the woman thought about it. She's like, yeah, that sounds good. And she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of it the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were, that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. That's pretty wise. That's the wisdom they gained instantly. And they heard a voice of the Lord God walking in the gardens in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. If it was only that easy to hide from God. I'm just going to get in a bush and he's never going to see me. They, didn't, they weren't that wise apparently. And the Lord God called Adam and said, where art thou? Where are you at, dude? God knew where he was. I'm fully aware. I'm pretty sure that God knew exactly where he was. He was... He wanted to know if Adam knew where he was. He said, I heard that voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? He knew he ate of the tree. He said, I I told you not to eat it. And the man said, the woman. She did this. He pointed fingers and then the woman pointed fingers and said, it wasn't me. It was this dude, this serpent, this snake dude. And that's the end of 13. I just should have probably just sped through that one. Uh, The first sin comes shortly after God made everything. Uh, Eve being guiled by the accuser, this this cunning serpent, this this twister of words and and just wraps everything around in his own way. And sometimes we fall for it. What Eve did was actually very human. And I, I can make all the jokes I want about just one rule, but would I have broken that rule? Something I gotta think about. If I could relate Satan to this analogy of the heart, he would be the fast food ads, in my opinion. He would be the McDonald's Big Mac commercial coming on screen. He would be the billboards that say, eat, it's only $5. And I say, I have $5. And I go in. He's not making me fat. He's making me to make me fat. But I could say no if I wanted to. I could say, I have a lot of food at home. I don't have to do this. And then I do it. And... You know, he's the kind of guy that tells you, it's okay, just eat it. He twists words, he mangles scriptures, and he knows our nature. But don't be scared, God is, is greater than Satan. And in turn, you are greater than Satan. Because that's kind of how it works, as I found out. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Who's the they? Us. In that particular scripture, though, who's the they? It's a, it's a parable. It's, a, it's the sheep. He's the good shepherd in this one. But he's uh, relating it to, to like, to wrang- or rustlers, I think, in my mind. Like, people coming in and stealing cows, in this case, sheep. But as Jesus, as our shepherd, we're going to live life more abundantly. What Adam and Eve did is they fell for a temptation, and they sinned against God. They hid and they ultimately messed up life for everyone else after that. They had one rule, and they broke the only rule. But what also was formed that day was not just a separation between man and God. It was also a pattern. I'm a big pattern guy. I love patterns. Pattern shirts, pattern shorts. Uh, I learned how to play the drums through a pattern. It's, uh, you count to four, and then you just repeat every time, every four. And that's how you do it. And, you just, and it's so simple. I don't know why everyone's drummers. Because it's a pattern. 
Uh, but this pattern was pointed out to me through a few teachings. Uh, Brother Woods did one. It was tremendous. And uh, also Brother Raymond Woodward. You guys were right up up there. I, I listen to, to the Woodward one a lot because it helps me out. Yes. And, um, but now it's something that's ingrained in me. I can't unsee this in the Bible. And you might know where I'm going. I'm going to go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. I have a paper there to let me know where I'm going. And I put it in the wrong spot. There I am. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do we all see the pattern? I, I had struggles with it, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lay it out there. In Genesis 3, 6, Eve saw the tree was good for food. She wanted to make her flesh happy. She saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. She wanted to make her eyes happy. And, she died, and the tree was desired to make one wise, and I'm going to just count that as the pride of life. I'm just going to throw it in there. I think it is. Three things just like that. Boom, boom, boom. The first Adam failed. It was a failure of both of them, but we're going to say the first Adam failed, and that's why we needed the second Adam to face that temptation and to not succumb to it. His name was Jesus Christ. I don't know if you heard of him, but I'm going to talk about him a little bit. He was tempted in all ways like we are, and he did not succumb to any of them. He stayed pure and perfect so he can offer himself as the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to talk about hearts in a little bit, but this is a buildup. It's a buildup. Satan has a very predictable pattern of temptation. We just talked about it. It's tried. It's true. It works. It works. It works for years and years. And one day he tried it on that man, Jesus. The story that I'm going to is mentioned three times in the gospel, like, like very shortly in Mark, like two scriptures maybe. Uh, then uh, Luke 4, but I'm going to talk from Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And I'm just going to skim right through if I can find it. Where would I put that? Oh, there it is. I gotta get better. I gotta be more organized. What's going on here? All right, Matthew four, verse one. I'm just gonna quickly skim through. He was led of the Spirit into the wilderness. He fasted forty days and forty nights, and then Satan tried to come. It took Jesus fasting forty days and forty nights before Satan even thought he could have a have a go at him. It takes me like two minutes. Like I've been fasting for a, 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 what Sister Alicia said a few times. Like she would be fasting, and I feel this too. And it's free donut day. It's that simple. But for, God, for Jesus, it's 40 days and 40 nights. Whew. My goodness. My goodness. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God, that's what he likes. He likes to ask questions that test you. He wants you to think. He wants you to not remember things. He wants you to be like, I guess you're right. If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. And then Jesus responded with a scripture. So the devil tried to do it again. He took him up to this very high point, and he said, cast yourself down. He actually quoted, he quoted a scripture, Psalms 91. And for it's written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, or he says concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest, that, lest at any time, that's not in the Bible, any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. That's not in the original scripture, but Satan tried to mangle it, tried to twist the words. He's saying, you can just throw yourself from wherever you want, and you're going to be fine. But then Jesus responded with another scripture. It was written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then a third and final time the devil tried this. I think he's getting mad here. Some, he thinks like, oh, this guy's he's a tough customer. This is going to get him. I got him now. He took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to them, All these things I will give thee 
You're just going to give things? That's cool. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. And Jesus said unto them, Get thee hence, Satan, for it's written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Three times. Three times Satan came at him. And Jesus responded, not with miracles, not with signs and wonders, things that we don't feel like we can do yet. He just responded with, the word of God. And not only the word of God, he used Deuteronomy 8.3, Deuteronomy 6.16, and Deuteronomy 6.13 to best Satan. When I think the devil's trying to get at me, I feel like I have to study the entire word. I have to, I have to highlight a scripture in Amos. I have to go all around. Jesus did it in two chapters. He just destroyed Satan. We, it's that simple. I, I, could, I didn't even realize it was that simple. I thought he was pulling from all around. It's just two chapters he beat him. Three scriptures, two chapters. Uh, does anyone know what Hebrews 4.12 is? <laughs> and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the desi- dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of thoughts and intents of the hearts. I, we're kind of laughing about that because last week Pastor did that, and I think Sister Corey pulled like 4.14, and I was trying to say 4.16. They're all great. They're all great, but he asked for 412, which is also a great one. And that's the weapon against Satan right there, the word. And unfortunately, we're not all Jesus. I know. We fail, we fall, and even in times where we know we can overcome, where we've tried it before and we have overcome, sometimes we just find ourselves succumbing to temptation. And I find this, uh, I found a really good example of this in, in, in David, my, my man David. My man David. I relate to him most, uh, really a lot. We're both great shepherds. I know how to play a harp. I'm ruddy looking. No, um, I just, I really like David. But I, I can tell you today that David, the man who's called after God's own heart, we're talking about the heart, he fell for a temptation. And this is found in a very familiar part of Scripture, Second uh, Samuel 11. Uh, David is, is at home, and he shouldn't be at home. It says, and it came to pass after the year was expired, the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all of Israel. And David tarried still at Jerusalem. David is a king, right? Mm-hmm. Kings should be at war. Right. David the king, not at war. Something's not adding up. And it goes on, and David sees this really pretty girl bathing, because he's a creep now. (laughs) He was in the evening time. He walked on his roof. He was sunbathing, bathing, and he saw a woman, and he inquired, and he sent messengers. And as it goes on, they're planning on having a kid, and they're not adopting. So you do the math. David was supposed to be at war, and he wasn't at war. I, 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 wrote, I wrote that out for a while. I, tried, I practiced that in the mirror. <laughs> David, he was supposed to be at war, and he's not. A lot of times when I find myself in temptation and temptation around me, it's because I'm at a place where I'm not supposed to be. And David just came back from a very successful campaign. He beat the Syrians. And I find sometimes after a very successful church service, I've found, I find temptation. There's these things where you think, 
I'm strong enough to handle, but sometimes you're not. And David does not only do whatever I just said, uh, he goes on to make it worse. He has to plan, he has to scheme. He brings Uriah back from war, the war David should be at. And he's like trying to like, yeah, just, he tries to get him drunk and make them hang out. And it doesn't work. Uriah is sleeping on the steps of the palace because Uriah apparently has a better understanding of his duty than David does at this time. And now David has to plan and scheme and hide his sin even more. He, he sends him back in the line of duty and he has him killed just to save face, just to look good, just to make sure that people don't think things. And he hid it and he did it in secret. And he planned and he connived. Connived. I use that. David effectively runs from his sin, it, and it takes a man of God later to tell him that it was wrong, basically through a parable. He said, uh, this, this prophet Nathan says, David, there's, there's a grand injustice in your kingdom. A man has stolen something that wasn't him from someone who didn't have anything. This man that stole had a so much, and his neighbor had nothing. And when his friends came over, he stole the only thing he had, this ewe lamb, and he dressed it up. Now the man has nothing, and David is, he's furious. He is upset. His anger, verse 12, 5, it says, His anger was greatly kindled against the man. The man's David. Nathan points out. I said, dude, that's you. In probably much grander, more exposing terms. And David, I don't know what he was, what he was thinking, but David, only six chapters earlier, talked directly to God during battle. He asked God if, he would, if they would fight, would he overtake him? And God said, yes, you're going to overtake all of them. You're going to win. This is a man that's connected. It says he's after God's own heart. He has victories under his belt. And now he is disconnected and separated from the voice of God. It takes a third party to come talk to him. Oh Remember when sin, what sin is? It's fixations and self-erected blocks that separate us from, our, from God and our spiritual Potential. I don't know the exact condemnation that David must have felt, but I understand what it's like to have failed God. It's hopeless. It, talk, it feels like the enemy's just taunting you. You're never going to be better. You're, you're, this is all you're going to be. And your heart gets in on it too. Jeremiah eleven seventeen says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Satan thinks he understands. He thinks he knows what's going to happen. Sometimes it feels like a heart and our chin are connected on a string. And when we're good, our, our chin's up. But as soon as our heart drops, our chin goes down. And Satan feeds off that. But let me tell you about a man named Joshua in Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah is a prophet and he's being showed visions. And it says that, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. To, to accuse him, to go after him. Say, look at this guy. And, and the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. I rebuke thee. Uh, o Satan, even the Lord hath chosen Jerusalem, rebuke thee. Is this not the, the brand plucked out of the fire? He's asking Satan, is this the man you brought before me? Is this the guy? And Satan had a reason because Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. 
And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. See, what Satan had on Joshua is that he had dirty clothes, and he wasn't what a priest should look like. But God doesn't work with that. He says, let me show you how I work. I'm going to give you new clothes. You're going to be just fine. And Satan, you got nothing to argue about. That's how God operates. 1 John chapter 3 and 20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. God will cut that string that keeps our chin down, and he'll go in and he'll fix everything. He's a great physician. He will go in there. He will cut it. He will take a heart out and he'll put a new one right in. I just read it earlier. And then Satan thinks he's slick, though. Doesn't he? He thinks he's so, he thinks he's smooth. He probably got suits, maybe. I don't know what he does. <laughs> But he puts on the role of the tempter. I'm, I'm imagining like a greaser from, from Greece. He's got like the hair back. And he's got the leather jacket. He's like, hey, all the cool kids are doing this. Just do it. It's okay. He didn't really say that. And then he does a quick change. He puts on the lawyer law and order suit with the clip on tie. And he says, look what your servant's doing here, God. But God doesn't care. I mean, he wants you to be repentant. That's why he provided a way of escape for that. Satan wants you to think that you can just always be stuck under his thumb, but God provided an out. It's called repentance. We talked about it last week. And that's not just a New Testament thing. I think sometimes we get so caught up that in the Old Testament there was just no grace and everyone had a hard time and you had to sacrifice everything. And everyone was sad. But then when Jesus died, everything got happy because we can just, we can just uh, do whatever we want and repent. It's not true. Uh, there's a there's a couple called Anais and Sapphira that will greatly disagree with you because they're dead. And God uh, slain them right there for lying. Hey, thank you. But David sinned, and he's in the Old Testament before Jesus died. But he knew he sinned after it was revealed to him. I think he knew, but like it takes someone telling you sometimes because we can just get so caught up and start running and hiding and closing things out and not wanting to think about it and then you get called out and you're like you're so right and it hurts in second samuel 12 it says david he he sorrowed he he cried he fasted and david said unto nathan i have sinned against the lord and nathan said to david thou hast put away thy sins thou shalt not surely die David repents, and in verse 20, he gets back up after his son died, because that's what had to happen. But he gets up, he anoints himself, he puts on new clothes, and he starts to worship. There is a process after repentance that we got to get to. And because of this gigantic sin comes my favorite psalm. Psalm 51 was written by David because of what happened. And I, I told, told a Brother Cliff that I'm going to... 1 through 17, but I'm just going to skim through it because this is whole thing is great. If you want a not skimmed version, you should read it yourself. Amen. I read this a lot. I, I say it a lot because I mess up a lot, but I know a God that knows how to deal with mess ups. Amen. This is what, what uh, Brother Wood was talking about before I got up here. He used Peter who messed up. He used Paul or Saul who killed people. And he, he, got, he got a little excitement out of killing people because he was doing something for the cause. And God said, I know where I can use that. Yeah. And he moves pieces around. He puts them in place. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned again. 
sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 5, Behold, thou desireth truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David had an example of someone's Holy Spirit being taken from them. It was Saul. I don't know if exactly fully knew he wouldn't kill him because he was still anointed. But Saul, the, the Spirit of God, left Saul. And I'm sure David understood that because Saul started throwing javelins at him. But he doesn't want that. I don't want that either. Verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Verse 13, then, this is one of my favorites, will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You know, if you have a really good doctor and he's doing a really good job with you and you have good friends that you want to see healthy, you recommend the doctor. You got friends in your life that need a doctor right now? There's a way out. There's someone who could help. Doctors every day have to perform open heart surgeries. Maybe not now because elective surgeries are kind of down. But typically, they perform open heart surgeries, these life-saving surgeries. And God is the great physician. His scalpel is the word. His redemption removes blockages out of our hearts. He takes out stony hearts and puts in new ones. That's what he does. And I'm so excited because I had a stony heart at one point. And God put in a new one. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm, I got I to gotta get out of here. It's almost done. And he's a heart surgeon. Psalms 37.4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine hearts. When people uh, get heart transplants, they just don't go back to the way that they were living. They don't eat three, three more Big Macs every day. They have to change their diet. They have to change how they act and how they operate. And uh, Psalms 37, 4, I really love the scripture. Delight thyself all in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of the heart. That sounds like an ATM machine, Sister Corey. You talked about it a few weeks ago uh, at the graduation. And that's how I've always thought about it until recently, that it's not about that. God's a heart surgeon. When he says, give thee the desires of thy heart, he's going to open up your chest a little bit. He's going to put in stuff that you would like, that you want to be more like him. And I'm hoping he's doing that with me every single day. I, I recently prayed this, and, you know, I always typically think about the desires of the heart. Give me the stuff, but I, I asked, what does it mean to delight in you? And I got to tell you, I started reading the Bible more, and I started getting excited. I was, I've always loved the Bible, but there was an excitement now in me. I didn't want to stop reading it. Uh, prayers got longer and longer because I was understanding what it meant to delight thyself in the Lord. These desires started forming inside of me that I knew what I wanted. And because before it kind of seems murky, you don't really know. You choose kind of a life path direction. I somehow chose civil engineering. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I haven't taken a class yet. But honestly, I haven't. It's, it's kind of scary. I don't know what I'm dedicating myself to. But the more you do it, you, you refine and you focus and you see what you want. In Psalms 51, 13, I just said it, but David says he'll teach other people about God. And they're going to be converted. Praise God. That's so incredible. That's so incredible. And back to the, 
to the care you have to take after heart surgery. You need to stay healthy. You need to maintain your new heart. And Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I won't sin against thee. Because the sin, the blockage will come back in the new heart. Your new heart doesn't have anti-plaque. Yeah, it deals with the same stuff. It's all about how you handle it now. And, but when you get that word inside of you, it's going to start messing up with whatever the Satan's trying to get at you. And you're not going to be temptation-free, Brother Ali. It's not an easy street. It's, it's, it's not, you know, collect 200 after your go, and then you're never going to have to pay tax. It's, it's tough. It even, might be even tougher now. Seemingly, but we have a way to handle it now. Uh, I think I was going to maybe end with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. Also, I forgot to mention, you remember godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation? That's what David demonstrated. I completely forgot to mention it. I didn't even have it in my notes. I feel so bad. But 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, ye, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthians, ye are our epistle written in our hearts in red of all men. When you get a heart surgery, you get a scar, and typically it's covered up with a shirt because we don't want to see your chest. But when you get converted and start getting used of God, people are going to read you like a book and say, look at this guy, he's different. This is going to be our epistle written. This is going to be our missionary that goes out into their school. And they're going to see that that, that, that kid right there is different. I want to find out why. I'm not pointing at anyone, just so you know. I'm just like, it's over there. No one in particular. Verse 3 says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the hearts of the heart that's what happens after heart uh, one of God's Dr. God's heart transplants you're going to know about it you're going to start referring like this this doctor over here he, he changed my life he saved me he flipped me around put me back on my feet and now I want you to try it out get in here free heart surgeries maybe a different way to put it so it's more you know, more better than mine but praise God isn't that isn't that so great yes. am I the only one that thinks this is just the best thing in the world I know I'm not because you guys have been very good at saying stuff. But sometimes I just need to hear it again. Praise God. Praise God. All right. That's it's 8 o'clock. We did it. <laughs> praise God. Let's stand. Let's stand in this place. And if I could have uh, Brother Woods dismiss us in prayer. Lord Jesus, God, we're so grateful to be able to come together, Lord God. We appreciate this liberty given us, Lord God, the freedom to assemble peaceably. We ask that you would allow us to continue to have this in all of our lives here, Lord God. Pray that your hand would be upon your speaker, Lord, that you would continue to draw him in, Lord God, closer to you, that you would open up his understanding of your word. Pray, Lord God, that you would be with all of us and bring us back safely Sunday, expecting a great move of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.